This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You know what you're not supposed to see in the woods? A nude, human-shaped creature crawling far too fast among the trees with skin as pale as the moon. By the time you think, well, that's kind of weird, it might just be chewing on your leg. Welcome back to Unexplained Encounters. I'm your host, Darkness Prevails, who you can follow on Twitter at Dark Prevails. Today's episode consists of new and disturbing Wendigo stories, as well as more monsters that simply should not exist, but apparently might. Enjoy and remember to send us your scary stories so I can narrate them on this show. Just go to darkstories.org. If you need more horror podcasts in your life, go to eeriecast.com or search for EerieCast Network in your favorite podcast player. Now, let's begin. Warning. The following story contains depictions of violence against pets and other animals. Something in my barn. From Vanderbeek. Seven months ago, my grandfather on my mom's side passed away. During this time, I was a senior in college and very close to graduating. Needing a place to stay and not wanting to share a house with my overbearing mother, I was able to convince my mother to sell me my grandfather's land. This was a beautiful property, about 230 acres of land and half of it was woodlocked. The rest was field and farmland though. Most of it was used to house animals that had long since been sold as my grandfather's age caught up with them. As a kid, I loved the land, exploring the forest or attending to the animals. Revisiting the property shot memories of my grandpa back to the forefront of my mind. Getting the property back in working order was a difficult process, but after a couple of weeks, the old farm had become my home. Perhaps one of my favorite activities was going out on the porch at night to gaze at the stars that I could never see in the city. But the first incident happened not a week after I got the garage cleaned up. I was out on the porch watching the sunset, smoking a cigarette, when from the distant woods, I hear this ear-piercing screech. Now at this point, I'd lived there for four months, and I had familiarized myself with the sounds of the forest. So no, this wasn't an elk or a coyote or even a mountain lion. It was different. This screech sounded more like the combination of a moose in heat and a woman being killed. This wasn't too far out either. Normally the sounds I hear are distant and faint, but this sounded like it was just a few kilometers away. After that, I didn't feel comfortable with staying outside. The darkness of the woods no longer felt comforting, and every noise I heard put me on edge. 
I swore at that point I was being watched. After about a week, I got over it. I even asked my neighbors about it, but none of them had ever heard of an animal that could produce that sort of sound, at least none that live in this area. The second incident was just last month. I woke up in the middle of the night and I needed to get a glass of water. I leaned over the counter which gave me a good view out the window that led to my front yard and driveway. As I drank a glass of water, I noticed movement in the brush outside. I honed in on where I thought I saw the movement, and not five seconds later, I saw something run from the brush to behind my shed. Assuming it was a coyote, I grabbed the rifle I had in the broom closet next to my front door, and I headed out to the porch in nothing but my house coat and slippers. The first thing I was greeted by was an offensive smell that physically burned my sinuses. It smelled like rot. Not just rot though, but also like the taste of blood, if that makes sense. I grabbed the high-powered flashlight next to my rocking chair, and I lit up my front yard. Not wanting to get dressed and go looking for a stray coyote, I instead turned the flashlight off, and I sat down on the porch. I waited to see if it would pass by again. After a while, I quickly got bored, and I took out my phone to check Facebook and otherwise just mess around. A few minutes after I took out my phone, I noticed some movement out of the corner of my eyes. From just behind my shed, which was maybe 60 yards away, I saw a small singular antler poking out from around the corner. Now it wasn't unusual to see deer on my property, but what was weird was the size of it. From where I was standing, this deer would have to be over nine feet tall. So this was a massive deer, especially considering the size of its rack, which was only less than 15 inches. I stood for a moment, confused by the size, until I thought about the thing that had originally brought me out here. I know that deer couldn't be what I saw, because the thing I'd seen was far too close to the ground. A moment after pondering this, I saw the deer, or at least the antler, fall to the ground, and after that, I heard something scurrying across the ground. I turned on the flashlight, and I shined it across the brush. Out from the brush came the most unnatural thing I'd ever seen. On all fours, the thing stood, eyes glowing like flame. At first, I thought it was a starving man. Its skin was so pale. Each hand had five fingers, and its figure was deathly slim. But the thought of this being a man was quickly dismissed when I saw the massive claws and sharpened teeth and the antlers adorning its head. Acting out of pure fear and adrenaline, I shot at the thing, but I must have missed it, as the creature was now crawling towards me at an alarming speed. I dropped my gun and my flashlight, and practically threw myself through the front door before slamming it behind me and locking the deadbolt. My dog came running to the door to see what the commotion was. I pulled him away from the door, but froze when I heard the doorknob moving. I turned to see the doorknob slowly turning, and when it reached its apex, the door was suddenly jerked forward violently, luckily being caught by the deadbolt. My dog began to bark uncontrollably, 
the door continuously being smashed into by that thing outside. I was trying desperately to pull my dog away from the door. He's an Anatolian shepherd and weighed more than 100 pounds, so this task was a difficult one. It wasn't until we heard the ungodly screaming from behind the door that my dog backed off with his tail between his legs. That was a disturbing sight, to see my dog, a dog that big, afraid. I've seen him try to chase Moose off of the property, and yet whatever was behind the door had him more afraid than an 800-pound moose. I can't say I blame him. I stayed in my room with my dog for the rest of the night, and only after daybreak did the overwhelming smell of rot finally leave my sinuses. That brings us to the third and final incident. I had told my family about the creature, but none of them believed me. I even called the cops and got fined for wasting their time. I knew it was still here because of the smell that came each night. One morning, I even woke up to find the body of a doe, its stomach split open on my porch. Some nights I can see it, crawling out of the barn to torment me. But this particular night, it crossed a line. I woke up to find the smell was worse than ever, but the worst part was the scraping on my window. I grabbed my gun that I now kept next to my bed, and I slowly approached the window. I couldn't see much as it was an extremely foggy night, but I did see those glowing ember eyes and a pale hand trying to open the window. I took aim and fired at the thing, aiming between its eyes. I heard a scream that was so loud it made me drop my rifle again, and I covered my ears. Then. I heard something tumble off my roof and hit the ground. I thought this was my chance, so I grabbed my rifle and my dog and gave chase. But I saw that thing somehow crawling away. My dog practically ripped the leash from my hand to pursue it. I'd run for maybe 30 seconds before I lost track of my dog in the fog. I scoped in my rifle and looked around before approaching my decrepit barn that I didn't have the time nor resources to repair. I saw my dog run inside. As I approached, gun raised, I heard a growl, a thump, some shuffling, a scream, and finally a crack before the darkness of the barn fell silent. I stared ahead, trying to find my dog, but not a moment later, my vision was invaded with white and red. I'd been pinned to the ground Rifle knocked out of my hand, eyes shut tight, awaiting my demise. But what I felt next wasn't pain. It was fur. There was warm liquid running down my hand. I opened my eyes and saw that I'd been pinned by my dog. Relieved, I sighed before noticing the red stains over his fur and distinct lack of breathing. I was in shock, staring at my dog, tears forming in my eyes but my shock didn't last as I saw the thing approaching. It was at its full height, walking on two legs now as it slowly approached me. Quickly, I scrambled to my feet and ran towards the house. I'm not sure if the thing chased me, but I wasn't going to look and find out. I spent some time in a motel after that. I've spent a lot of time away from my home, my grandpa's home. I don't want to abandon my property, 
and I also want that thing to pay. It killed my dog, tossed its body at me like a rag doll. After researching this thing, it sounds an awful lot like the thing they call a Wendigo. At this point, I don't know what to do. Shooting it right between the eyes seemingly had no effect. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. Do you believe in monsters? And given the chance, would you be brave enough to track one down on your own? In June's Journey, people are the true monsters, and you can live the story yourself rather than sitting back and listening to one. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I locked eyes with a Wendigo. Did it curse me? From Inky the Raven. I've always been an open-minded person who has believed in the supernatural and in cryptids. But this encounter made me 100% positive that there are things that live in this world that we don't understand. It happened in fall of 2010 I was 16 years old back then, living with my dad in our home in the countryside of southeastern Ohio. Our property's backyard, which was a field, actually bordered the largest state park in the state of Ohio, something I think played into this occurrence. It was around 8pm when the sun had just fully set, allowing for the bright fall moon to bathe the ground in its soft glow. I was sitting down watching some crappy movie. I think it was Summer Catch or something. It was then that I felt the oddest sensation. I had this urge to approach our large glass front door, almost like I was being beckoned or called. Upon reaching the door, I looked out at the bright moonlit front yard to see a tall, milky white skinned creature on all fours running. Then it stopped like a predator sensing its prey. Its skin was pulled tightly against its emaciated, almost skeletal body, which was almost glowing in the moonlight. It smelled the air like a hungry wolf smelling for a rabbit before its head snapped to the right 
towards our front door. It locked eyes with me. Its eyes were a milky white, devoid of retina or pupil, and I also realized its lips and nose were absent too, gone from its pale, bald head. It felt like an hour that my pale blue eyes and its milky orbs looked into each other's souls, or whatever this thing possessed inside that might resemble a soul. After this stare down, it snapped its head back forward and sprinted off towards the field of our property. After it left my sight, I immediately backed up slowly, utterly shaken. Upon reaching the living room, my dad asked why the weird entrance. I told him what I saw in a trembling voice, which unsurprisingly, he shot down and disbelieved my story. He said I was making it up, or that I'd just seen a coyote. I argued with him that what I saw was no creature I'd ever seen before, and that coyotes aren't hairless, pale, and white. He just rolled his eyes and said to calm down, that it was nothing, that I needed to just let it go. Later, I thought it over. I was thinking maybe he grew up on the same property, so he'd seen it too, and he just didn't want to remember it. That night, I slept with my hockey stick in my bed next to me. Or at least, I tried to sleep. Alas, sleep eluded me, and I spent the next day nodding off in class, trying to shake the weird feeling that locking eyes with that thing had brought me. I began to slowly relax and pushed it to the back of my mind, only being reminded when the sun went down daily. Now, I had to let my dachshund puppy out every night. But every so often, I'd look out at the dark woods of the state park in our backyard, and I swear I felt like it was staring back at me still, as if it was waiting for its chance to come closer than before, to make me sorry I ever looked it in the eyes. After graduating high school, I moved in with my mom in the city. Due to a mixture of her and I being close, and her having health issues, I wanted to help take care of her, and partly because of my father and I's strained relationship. However, I knew deep down it was also due to the fact that I could never see that thing again in the city. And well, it did work. I never did see it in the city. But one cold weekend in the winter of 2013, my best friend's mom began to date my dad, so I decided to go visit, spending the weekend at my dad's house. My dad and his girlfriend were Christmas shopping, so it was just my best friend and I at home, alone with the dogs. Of course, at a certain point, we needed to let them out to pee, so we opened the sliding back door to let them out, but immediately we were hit with a deafening silence from outside. It was like all of nature and the nearby highway had been muted. Right away, I felt that feeling of eyes on me from the woods, and I was brought back to that night years earlier. I quickly told my friend to shut the door, that I didn't care if the dog just peed inside this time, though it would get me a tongue lashing from my dad. But so be it. I had to do something to escape this thing's sight, to get away from it. I didn't want it getting closer to me, I didn't want it smelling me. Now comes the part that has, as of the last few months, bothered me. It made me feel as if that night in 2010 left me cursed. Over the years after that event, I've been in two car accidents. I've also nearly died of appendicitis. I've had the worst string of bad luck. 
I went through a period of time where I nearly killed myself from depression, along with other straight-up horrible instances where I've just felt cursed. Even recently, I've been diagnosed with fibromyalgia, which is a painful and life-hindering nerve and muscle disease that has forced me to have to go on disability along with my worsening anxiety issues. I came to the conclusion that I was cursed and realized that what I saw may have been a wendigo. The idea came to me this past spring when I watched a show called In Search of Monsters, which had an episode on the wendigo. It was described to not only have the traditional accounts of being tall with a deer's skull, but as a tall, pale humanoid with no nose or lips, paired with milky white eyes. This, of course, caused me to have a full-blown panic attack. I actually shook as I realized I had locked eyes with this voracious and terrifying beast. This led me to begin to read about and study the Wendigo. My research has both led me to feel terrible for the poor souls that must suffer the fate of being one, but also to be in a fear-induced awe of their ferocity and power. I believe when I locked eyes with that Wendigo over 11 years ago, it didn't do its often-reported possession, which might have made me into the next Wendigo. No, instead it cursed me to have all the misfortunes, personal pain, and discord in my life. The Wendigo From Anonymous I live in a small Vermont town. I was 12 at the time. Though it's been over a decade, I remember this like it happened yesterday. It was early spring, and we had just withstood an exceptionally harsh winter. I was a troubled kid who ran away often. In the middle of the night one night, at 3am, I was on my way out the door. I turned around and up the hill standing in the road under the street lamp was what I thought at first was a severely deformed deer. I quickly realized it wasn't when it stood on two legs and began to sniff the air. From my estimate, it must have been a little over seven feet tall. Its antlers were growing out of what seemed to be a human head with a protruding jaw. It was so oddly proportioned. Its ribs were exposed, it had lengthy claws and hooved feet. It turned its head towards me and began running on all fours. I had never seen anything run that fast in my life. As it got closer, I could make out better details of its face. Its lips were gone or non-existent. Its skin looked frostbitten, and its eyes were black. I ran inside, shutting the storm door. The closer it got, the more it drooled, too. I shut the front door then, and suddenly, I heard something hit the storm door. Then, something unexpected and terrifying happened. A distorted voice came from the porch. That thing out there, it was mimicking a woman's voice. It was saying, Let me in. I screamed and ran to my mother's room. I startled her awake. Together, the two of us went back to the door to investigate. There was no one outside, but the proof remained. That monster had hit the storm door so hard it was severely dented. I couldn't speak for over an hour. I was so scared. But once I was able to, I couldn't bring myself to tell her what I'd really seen. 
She still believes the creature responsible was a mother black bear who was defending her cubs. But my story doesn't end there. I overheard my burly neighbor quietly ranting at a man about a creature who had chased him to his car. I asked him about it, but he lied to me. I told him about what I'd seen, and he and his friend were now dumbfounded. They asked me if they could see the door, and I obliged. They drove past my house and the man turned to my neighbor and nodded. The following day at dusk, five men pulled up in a truck. I went over and talked to the man who had been conversing with my neighbor the day before. What are you doing? I asked him. Mm, hunting, he replied. You're gonna go kill that thing, aren't you? Yeah. Well, what is it? I continued to question. Kid, you should go back to your house, he said sternly. Not until you tell me. <sighs> you ever heard the story of the Wendigo? Now go back home, he hissed. They walked into the woods across from my house. Later that night, only two men walked out. I walked out onto my porch, and I began to ask where the man I'd talked to was but they shouted at me to go back inside. They got back in the truck and sped away. The next morning, I entered the dining room and saw a paper sitting on the table. The three men who didn't come back were on the front page. It said they were killed in a car accident, but I didn't think that was the truth. Needless to say, I don't go out after dark anymore. The Beast of Red Lake Reservation From Dredo 49 I'm a 23-year-old Chippewa Native American from the Red Lake Indian Reservation in Minnesota. My people don't usually speak of this. They believe that if you speak of it, or even say its name, it will hear you, and it will only be drawn closer to you. But I'm willing to take my chances and tell you the first time I saw... The Wendigo. I was about 14 years old at the time. I was told about the story of the hunter that got lost in a terrible blizzard and was forced to partake in human flesh. The spirit of the Wendigo was born, looking for its next victim to possess. I was young and dumb, so I didn't really believe the story. Not too long after, I went out with my friends. Let's call them Ben and Kevin. We just sat outside for an hour and we had nothing to do. We decided to go to the place where we can go look for some cool looking stones. Nobody ever goes swimming in this part of the lake either. We got ready to head out. We were going to bring our bikes, but ended up just walking. It was only a half mile away after all. My friends brought their dog along too. His name was Poppy. As we began to walk, my friend asked, Hey Kevin, did you bring a cigarette? Which he did. But he only had one, so we had to do three drags and pass. As we finished our cigarette, we were almost there. But I felt off. It felt as if we weren't alone, and I wasn't sure why. I thought I was just paranoid. As we got there, we began skipping rocks for a while and hanging out. We even found a few arrowheads that were still intact. Ben and Kevin began arguing about something. I didn't really hear what they were arguing about. Probably not important. Fast forward about an hour later. 
By then, it was about sunset, so we decided to head back home. As we get to the fork in the road, we all hear this loud, blood-curdling scream. It sounded like a man and an elk screaming in unison. As the scream continued, we saw this big buck run by, followed by something. Whatever it was, it was about nine feet tall, extremely pale. It stopped to look at us, too. It let out that same scream we had just heard. That was our cue to get out of there. We get back to my house and tell my parents about what happened. They didn't believe us. However, when my grandmother heard about our tale, she called us to talk. She said, I believe you saw the beast that roams these woods, a demon we call the Wendigo. You were lucky enough to be alive and tell the tale. From that day on, I keep my guard up. I think that deer saved us from it, remaining its target, its prey, instead of having its attention focused on us. If that deer wasn't there, at least one of us might not be here. Wendigo on my farm From Anonymous I was 30 when this encounter happened. I live on a farm in western Wyoming. I grew up in this home with my parents and my two older sisters. When we became adults, my two sisters moved out and got married, but I stayed home with my parents, knowing that my father needed help around the farm. A few months later, my mother had died of cancer, and my father died of a heart attack. It came down to me and my sisters after attending their funerals, but I promised my dad if he passed away, I would take his responsibilities and care for the farm. Two years after their passing, I moved on, and that's when the encounters began to happen. I was up one morning doing the chores around the farm, feeding the cows, pigs, and chickens. While I was giving water to the cows, I caught a glimpse of a shadowy figure in the woods. I didn't know what it was. When I looked again, the figure was gone, but I shrugged it off, thinking my eyes were playing tricks on me. Later that day, it was getting late, and I was finishing up locking up the cows and pigs in the farm. But I then heard a tree branch snap in the distance. I thought it might have been a bear, since they are common here, and that branch sounded thick, and whatever broke it would need strength or weight to it. So I double-checked that the barn door was locked. When that was done, I locked up the chickens in the coop and went inside to eat something. The following day, after finishing breakfast, I went out only to find that the barn door had been slammed in. I ran inside, seeing that all the cows and pigs had been slaughtered and partially eaten. There were even four long claw marks on one of the cows. I assumed that in fact a grizzly bear had gotten in. But I don't understand why a bear would be hungry enough to kill and eat four cows and six pigs. It didn't stay in my head long since I cleaned up the carcasses. After all, I had a lot to worry about on the farm. I decided to keep the chickens in the basement, so as to keep whatever killed those animals away from the chickens. When that was done, I was thinking about what attacked them, and I remembered the figure I saw the previous day. Maybe these two things were the same animal. A few hours after going to bed that night, I was awakened to a sound at my window. At first, I tried to ignore it, but the sound continued two or three times over. Then, 
they stopped. Still curious, I looked outside. I froze. What I saw outside my window was no ordinary animal. I thought it was a man at first, but the skin was almost rotten, and it looked like it had not eaten for years from the look of it. It also almost looked like it had chewed off its own gums. When I saw its feet, I only found deer hooves. Its arms were long and thin, ending in claws. I could see its rib cage through its upper body, and the head, I swear, looked like a flat-out deer skull with antlers on top. But its mouth had human-like teeth. The moonlight made its eyes appear to be glowing. I was petrified. Suddenly, the creature looked up, and I almost screamed. It stared at me for a while, but then it walked away. After it disappeared into the woods, I ran back to my bed and hid under the covers until the sun came up. Come morning, I somehow had the courage to go after this thing for what it did. I felt as if it was either me and my farm, or that thing. I brought with me a loaded shotgun, as well as a flashlight. Then I made my way into the woods, where I saw it walk off. In the forest, every little sound made me feel paranoid. A while later, I heard something I hope I never hear again in those woods. Silence so quiet, I could hear my own heartbeat. Every natural sound had disappeared. But then, out of nowhere, I heard what sounded like a child crying. They sounded to be maybe five or six years old. Slowly, I made my way in the direction of the noise. But then, the noise stopped. I heard something else that chilled me to the bone. My own mother... My mom, who had long since passed, calling out for help. When I heard her voice, I cried. I wanted to make my way to her, but then I heard something behind me. This wasn't my mother. It had been the source of my mother's voice, but no. It was the very same creature, imitating her voice. It stood on two legs, towering over me. It was easily eight feet tall. I snapped out of it and began to shoot at it. I heard a screech of pain, like a demonic elk crying out. As I reloaded, the creature turned around, but before it ran away, it gave me one last look. It ran off then. I ran back to my house, locking myself in, thinking about what happened. By the time it was getting dark, I had no intention of going to sleep, afraid the beast would come back. I couldn't be sure if I had killed it, or if it decided to stop bothering me, but it never did come back, thankfully. When I was able to afford it, I bought new cows and pigs, and I repaired the farm door. I even invested in stronger locks. I believe what I encountered was a wendigo. The only other people I've told this story to are my two sisters, who surprisingly believed me. They told me when they were teenagers they saw this dark figure with eyes that seemed to glow. I pray that none of us have to ever see it again. The Sighting That Stopped Me From Fishing on the River at Night From Gorgamus the Great This is a story from my friend. It happened in Louisiana. 
I was getting my boat ready on my own dock with my friend Rex. I loaded up all my gear and bait, taking the rope off the mooring post and heading up to one of my secret fishing spots. The swampy smell filled my nose when we powered up the river. When we made it to the spot, we powered down the motor and tossed in the anchor. We got our fishing rods baited up and threw the lines in. That was when, suddenly, I had this feeling of eyes on me. It felt like it was coming from the bank. I managed to shake it off, to ignore it. I also noticed there was no fish, no birds singing, no other boats. Then Rex got a gigantic tug that nearly pulled him off the boat. Whatever it was, it was extremely strong. He fought it around the back of the boat until the line snapped, sending Rex flying backwards. What the heck was that? Rex yelled. You probably got a gator, I said. I quickly looked over the back, but saw a big stir of silt where the battle happened, but there was no sign of the catch itself. So after that, we headed upriver to my next spot. Over the motor, I swear I could hear twigs snapping, like there was someone or something following alongside us. It stopped when we stopped, and it started up when we began moving again. Whatever it was, it followed us all the way to the spot, and it stopped there. We were anchored there until dark, and still no fish. We ate leftover pizza and drank a few Cokes. When we were done, we called it a night and started to head back. As we were headed down, Rex powered down the motor and tapped me on the shoulder. Hey, on the bank there, do you see that? He asked. I looked where he was pointing at, and sure as heck there was a shape moving along the bank. Rex put the stealth motor in the water and quietly moved that bank to shine a light on it. As we did, I was shocked at what I saw. The thing was about seven or eight feet tall. It was hunched over, covered in brownish-green scales. It had three rows of spiny sails down its back. Its arms were long, ending with reptilian-looking hands with long, clawed fingers. Its legs were long, with theropod-looking feet, it stopped walking as the light shined on it. Then it turned to look at us. Its head was almost human, but scaly with a mohawk of spines. I noticed the eyes glowed a bright red from the light. Its head slowly followed us as we steadily drifted past it. When it moved, we took off all the way to the ramp. I still fish those waters, but I've never seen that creature again. Something in the Valley From Anonymous I live in the British Columbia interior. Where I live contains vast, beautiful grassland where cattle graze during the summer. I live at a ranch in this grassland about 45 minutes east from the town of Merritt. The first part of this story does not take place near where I live, though. I was moving cattle with my father next to the highway. It was 5.30am when we began to move cattle up into the mountains. It was April, and the morning was clear and cool. I love working in the morning because it gives me a certain energy that I don't feel during broad daylight. Just like in the same way people love the night and sunsets, I love the sunrise. Anyway, we continued to ascend the mountain. 
What was once a paved road that ran along the mountain became a dirt road, which soon thinned out as we went. When we made it through the grazing range and into the forest, I immediately got an uneasy feeling. I wasn't sure if my dad got this feeling too, but suddenly my dog was growling every few minutes towards the left of the trail, which faced away from the highway. That's when I realized that every time he stopped growling, the only sounds we could hear were the hooves of the cattle and horses hitting the forest floor. There should have been birds chirping everywhere, but they weren't. I started to accept the situation, thinking that maybe it's just nothing. My dad then asked me if I'd heard anything out of the ordinary. I replied no, then asked why he wanted to know that. He told me it was nothing. However, I would soon find out why he asked. We came upon a gate, so I had to open it. After we went through, there was a little pond where the cows took a break from the long hike up the mountain. The air was thin at this point, so it was no surprise they needed a break. My dad and I felt we needed a break too. We stopped and just admired the view. We could see the Cascade Mountain Range from there, and a smaller mountain called Stoyama Mountain. We were in a clearing where if we looked straight, there was such an incline that you couldn't see the other side or bottom. I looked down at the tree line from there, about 500 feet below me. That's when I saw it. A silhouette walking on two legs. My initial thought was a trespasser. I quickly alerted my dad to the person walking around down at the bottom. He seemed concerned, because just a week before that, he and his crew discovered mud boggers tearing up the land where cattle would be grazing. He trotted down the mountain, catching sight of the silhouette too. I was told to make sure the cows did not run off. They all just stood around and stared down the mountain at this thing. I wasn't sure what to think of it, but I didn't really care too much. But then that uneasy feeling came back, hitting hard. My dad loped back up the mountain, and he said to me, Son, that isn't a person. Since we were already where the cows needed to be, we decided to turn around. The reason why we'd gone with the cows farther into the woods was because if we left them at the gate, they would stay there all summer. So if we pushed them farther in, they would work their way back, grazing on all the grass. I asked him what he saw, but all he told me was to follow him. Then I heard a loud crash behind me, like something large had fallen over. I looked back, and I saw something that made the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. A tree had fallen over, the branches still green and flopping around. I turned back, unable to speak. Had it fallen down on its own, or did something break it and push it over? We made it past the gate and through in a hurry galloping through the trees. Eventually, we stopped to let the horses catch their breaths. We soon passed a familiar tree that we'd passed on the way there, except now there were huge gashes on the tree. It looked as if something with four fingers had scratched it twice, so it looked like an X if you drew a bunch of lines through it perpendicular to the ones beside it. I hope that's not a confusing description. Soon, we made it to a fork in the trail, one direction was the way we came. The other went to the top of the mountain, then all the way back down to the feedlot. Now, we wanted to go back the way we came, but then we heard what sounded like a yelp. 
Not a dog, but similar. It had the pitch of a whimpering dog, but the sound of a man mixed in. It made it sound very eerie. I thought it was a cougar, but upon looking up cougar sounds later on, it didn't really sound like that at all. We decided to take the safe, but longer way back. We were along the top of the mountain. The scenery there was breathtaking. Before long, we heard a gunshot, then another one of those screams. Since we were along the fence line bordering another ranch, we continued on. My dog was whimpering at this point. We then began to hear loud thunks. We assumed they were footsteps running up the mountainside. Once again, we picked up the pace. I don't know if what happened next was an optical illusion. We saw these tall figures running across the wide trail, just back and forth, one after the other, running quickly from one side to the other. Our horses were now refusing to advance. We heard another of those loud screams, and the forest went silent again. We loped down the trail. That's when a helicopter almost skimming the tree line came roaring up the mountain and into the vast wilderness after. The machine was unmarked and all white. Weird enough, huh, considering everything that's happened so far. We and our exhausted horses made it back to the feedlot, luckily. My dad and I hopped into our truck and made it back to the barn. We went home with a major sense of relief. I thought it was over then, but I was wrong. I later asked my dad what he saw out there, and what he told me scared me. He said that he'd been experiencing these things for years. He'd only ever seen one of these things before this day, though. He told me they were tall, had patchy hair, and in the bald spots was light gray skin and ribs showing. These things were not Sasquatches, Skinwalkers, or Wendigos. He assumed they were some sort of family of creatures living at the bottom of the mountains on the other side, where the helicopter had went, since that was a hot spot for weird and scary encounters. It had caused a number of cowboys to quit in the past, but my dad stuck with it. These creatures never killed cows or anything. They were kind of just there. About seven months later, my friend who lived at the ranch and I were playing in the trees outlining the lake. You'd have to cross a very small creek where there was a small grass patch in the middle. We'd jump to it and jump to the other side. Eventually, we set up a bridge there. Well, that day when we came to cross that bridge, two of the four planks we'd used to form the bridge were cleanly snapped in half. We were on edge, but not totally freaked out. We just assumed that animals began to catch on to the bridge's usefulness. Maybe it had become overused, or a particularly big animal crossed over and broke it. We went on to our fort in the swampy woods. The fort was really just some wood planks that we nailed together. We sat down inside, drinking some water and talking, when we heard something like tapping on wood. I was creeped out then. I felt as if we needed to run then. There was an old machinery yard just 100 feet away from us or so. From the main shop, you can see the tree line. There was a barbed wire fence blocking us, though. We created a small area in the bottom to get through. I whispered the plan to my confused friend. I just knew it was that thing from before. I ran out with my head down. I lifted it to see we had misheard where the sound was coming from, because right in front of me, 
about 25 feet away, was a strange sight. I saw what appeared to be a human face. It had patchy hair on it, but I could tell it was no person. Its nose was pointed and large, its eyes were too far apart, and they were too high on its forehead to resemble anything human. Its eyes had a green glow about them. The most disgusting thing about it was it smelled like copper and cigarettes. It stepped out, revealing its height and legs. I'd say it was about seven feet tall. Its fur was very, very dark, but it showed the slightest bit of brown. The thing had bloody cuts in the exposed spots. One tooth stuck out from the top lip. It was dark yellow. I then realized it had somehow gotten closer. I couldn't move for a second, but when I could move, I did what my brain was screaming at me. Run. I ran, and I didn't look back to even my friend, who was screaming Sasquatch. I leapt over the creek. The two of us bolted back to my house. We were shaken and pale by then. I stared back at the woods. Above the woods was grassy hills that became trees. My friend and I saw a huge figure there, darting up the hill at an impossible speed. The creature disappeared over the hill. I was puzzled, because even a huge person would be a tiny dot on that hillside from where we were standing. That night, the two of us stayed up playing games in the living room, trying to lighten the mood. My parents and brother got back at around 9.30 and went straight to bed. My friend and I were just sitting in my room, now, my window looked out at the front yard, including the road and my barn. The area there becomes a swamp somewhat, which becomes forest after that. We closed the blinds. At around 2 a.m., my friend shook me awake. I was groggy and confused at first, but then I heard what sounded like tapping on my window. I knew instantly what it was. That it was here. My friend and I just sat crouched and frozen on my bed. Then the tapping stopped, and before long, we heard my fence creaking and a loud snap. I thought, dang, it broke my fence. When I went outside the next day, I found scratches on the fence. My hockey stick was broken too, and my road hockey ball was flattened. Across the way, I saw my neighbors trying to comfort their daughters who seemed to be hysterical as they approached their car. I was wondering if they saw what we did. This didn't reoccur, it just stopped. The only other thing I can remember happening was about a week later. Our dogs wouldn't shut up, then out of nowhere they just went completely silent. We didn't find footprints or proof of this thing existing. Deep down I know that these things still roam the woods on that mountain range. This didn't traumatize me, but now I can't seem to feel any full sense of security in the woods. I know that somewhere these things are walking around and breeding, and they may not have the best intentions. My apologies if I butcher the pronunciation of the following words. Sometimes a narrator simply cannot find a correct pronunciation on the old Google. Legend of the Weseon Maingon from Anonymous. You may not find this legend online. It was passed down by a word of mouth, and the only people who can tell it better than I can have now moved away or grown up. 
However, what I learned with legends like this one is that nothing is unreal once you've spoken it. While this legend may just be a legend, what happened to me was very, very real. About 10 years ago, I was still wary of my surroundings during and after serious storms and supercells. My parents and I moved to the United States about 15 years prior. It was a big thing for us, moving from a different country with literally zero to no knowledge of English. We moved to a Midwestern state first, then proceeded to move around the Midwest before coming back to the original state we moved to. For privacy reasons, I will not be naming the state. When we finally settled in the state, we had already joined a church congregation and summer camping season was fast approaching. Luckily, I'd made quite a few friends, so I had a pretty good time at camp. We had a lot of fun telling stories by various campfires, playing games, having service, spending time by the lake, and all that. Two nights before we left, everyone in the camp, the counselors, campers, cooks, security, and the owners of the campgrounds, who were also in the same congregation, were called to the larger bonfire. We were told that a large storm was going to come in that night, and it would go on the entire next day, branching into the evening. We were warned in advance there would be a possibility of tornadoes, even though we were quite far up in the north in the state. Nobody was freaking out because it didn't hit us until the next morning. That was around 9am. It was still dark out then. Everyone just ran together to the mess hall for breakfast. We all ate whilst talking to each other about plans for the day, since we couldn't be outside. The girls in my group decided to make a fort in the room, and our group leaders weren't opposed at all. We quickly ran back to our cabin and began setting up for the fort. Blankets and sleeping bags were thrown on the floor and pillows were everywhere. We moved our suitcases and bags under the beds and began the construction process. It went on quite a long while because we couldn't decide on how we wanted to build the fort. By the time we finished it, it was time for lunch. Lunch was uneventful. The rain hadn't stopped. Instead, it picked up, and so did the wind. The rain and wind raked over our faces as we ran to the cabin once more. With the fort finished before lunch, we were able to relax and play around. The cabin was quite large for the six of us plus two counselors. We began talking about boys who we thought were cute, offering to give each other hairstyle makeovers and just being eight-year-old girls. When our counselors called us for dinner and evening service, it was already 6 p.m. We had taken breaks from our fort and visited other cabins around ours, so we didn't stay cooped up alone and sticking to one loop of hairstyle and talks. Dinner was just like lunch, normal and loud. The food was delicious. The cooks had really outdone themselves that night. For dessert and during the sermon, we had s'mores, candy, ice cream, brownies, chips, all the junk food you could think of. We were given an update when the center of the storm would be likely to hit us, and we were told to stay aware, but to not be awake for too long. After showering that evening, I crawled into my sleeping bag, and I settled in for the night, when one of the girls decided we should tell scary stories. I wasn't one to get scared easily, so I agreed, but I admitted that I didn't have any scary stories to tell yet, and that someone else should start first. Our cabin door then opened, and an older girl, maybe 16 to 17, came in. We all knew her, 
but for the sake of privacy and security, I'll just call her Annie. Annie asked what we were doing, and when we told her of our scary story plan, she offered to go first. Here's the legend that Annie told us. The legend of Weseon Maingon. It's a story of mystery, horror, and death. In the entire state, the legend lived within the carcass of each house and building. The legend was what children told during a dangerous storm. Everyone knew what happened to boys and girls who did not heed the warning. A girl, Aki, and a boy, Makwa, were at home during a storm one night. Aki was sitting at a table when suddenly the phone rang. Hello? She spoke into it, and only static was heard at first. Then, suddenly, a raspy voice came through. It was hard to decipher, but Aki was fortunate enough to have made out the message. Run! They're coming! Hide! They're coming! It's too late. They're here. Uh, what was that? The boy, Magwa, asked, coming into the kitchen. I don't know, the girl laughed. I thought mother and father didn't connect the line yet, but apparently they did. Well, you do know that this area of land is haunted by some nasty ghosts, hinted the boy, and then pointed to the cords and wires on the floor behind the table. I mean, look, they still haven't connected it. Makwa, stop it. Look, we might even have to get into the cellar because of these clouds. They seem pretty bad. The two teens looked into the windows for a while before hearing sirens. The day before this point was very humid, hot, and completely still. There was no breeze, the tiniest blade of grass didn't move, and there were no animals. All the birds and squirrels had gone to rest by midday, something they did only when a large storm was approaching the land. A funnel cloud was beginning its descent, and after hitting the ground, it began moving towards the two children. Aki and Makwa made it to the cellar safely before it hit and hunkered down in a corner. The howling was horrid. Everything was shaking. Then, it stopped. Suddenly, the door to the cellar began shaking violently. However, it wasn't the wind. It seemed like someone was forcefully shaking the doors. Another howl came, but it wasn't from the vortex or a siren. No, it sounded like an animal, a wolf. Aki looked at Makwa, and he shook his head. No, Aki, don't you dare go out there. I have to see how bad things are. Makwa still stood his ground. Don't go out. Haven't you heard the legends? Those legends about the monsters that come out only after storms like this one? That they help the gods create this phenomenon and therefore have full control of it, and what is left after it finishes devouring the lands? The boy nodded not saying a word in fear that what was said would come true. Makwa, stop making it up, Aki smiled. I'm going to be right back. As Aki went up the ladder of the cellar, the two heard another howl, but this time it was not alone. There were at least two more identical howling noises. Aki had always listened to her mother and the elders telling the stories of the Weseon Maingan. Yes, in English the name was funny, but the stories that the elders had told were bone-chilling. Aki opened the cellar door and climbed up onto the hard ground. The house was completely flat. All of their family's farming equipment had been tossed into the fields. There was going to be a lot of rebuilding happening in the coming weeks, but sadly, 
Aki would never see that come to pass. Aki? Makwa called up from the cellar as the wind and rain picked up once again. Aki, stop playing. Makwa climbed up and looked around the same exact way Aki had. When he turned to look behind him, he screamed. There lay Aki's body. There was so much blood around her body, and her limbs had been splayed in such a way, giving her the appearance that she was sprawled out in a starfish-like manner. Her torso was cut up in a mess, and yet her face was still porcelain-like, untouched, eyes open, looking up at the sky. Whatever had killed his sister was still here and likely watching him. Makwa needed to get out of there as fast as he could, but he just stood still. There was a rustling of branches behind him, and when Makwa turned to look at what it was, he was left to watch the sky forever. That was the story that Annie told us, and as soon as she finished it, her radio crackled, and we heard the voice of the camp leader, who said that the tornado was not going to come near us, but we would still be under a large part of orange, dangerous weather, radar, for quite some time. The second that the camp leader finished the announcement, we heard howling in the distance. All of us eight-year-olds huddled together and began to panic. Annie began to laugh at us, telling us that the story wasn't real and that it never really happened. That did little to console us as the sirens began wailing and we were forced to evacuate and run to the large cellar in the center of the campgrounds. To this day, I believe in the Weseon Maingan, or Vortex Wolves, even though the story was never told to me by any Ojibwe or native. I know it's fake, not real, but a tiny little part of me believes it. I scoured the internet for the legend, or any other legend across the world with such beings, but my search has returned nothing. A few weeks ago, my area was hit by a vicious thunderstorm, which later produced tornadoes. Sirens went off for hours, and as soon as they stopped, I heard a howl in the distance. This was not a tornado siren. It absolutely was distinctly wolf-like. I'd also like to point out that wolves don't live near me as there are no largely and heavily wooded areas out here. Every single time the sirens shut off, the seconds between the intervals, I swear the howling only got closer and closer, making shivers run down my spine. It isn't something that I'd like to relive again, but I do love the state I live in. It's beautiful, and I have so many things that I want to do here that I think cancel out the fact that I'd heard something those nights. Remember, even if you don't believe in something and know the story to not be true, if you say the name, any name, beware. There are those who believe that names have power, and throwing them around for fun will lead to consequences. Thank you for listening to another unsettling episode of Unexplained Encounters. You can send us your story to have it narrated on the show at darkstories.org. Unexplained Encounters is an EerieCast original series. You can find other horror-themed podcasts at EerieCast.com, such as Redwood Bureau, a fictional anthology series, Freaky Folklore, a documentary-style series about myths and cryptids around the world, Destination Terror, a show about the most haunted places, and Tales from the Break Room, 
another show I host all about the scary things that happen to people at work. Again, that's EerieCast.com. By the way, if you want fewer annoying ads and you want to support what we do, consider going to EerieCast.com plus to sign up for EerieCast Plus. That unlocks all our podcasts with all but host red ads removed. Until next time, stay safe out there and stay creepy because this world is a strange one. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options in stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big